I'm Aria Schwartz, along with my co-host, Rachel Galligan, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. Today, we are sitting down with head coach of the Atlanta Dream, Nikki Collins. We're chatting with Atlanta Dream head coach Nikki Collin, uh, breaking down their offseason, all the crazy moves they've made, how they have rebuilt this roster, looking at the draft, uh, and much, much more. Check it out. Very excited to start our show with Coach Nikki, head coach of the Atlanta Dream. Coach, uh, obviously the hot topic right now is the coronavirus, um, so if you don't mind, why don't you kind of break down your thoughts and process of, uh, you know, the possibility of the season or just everything uh, regarding that in a general term? Yeah, I think, you know, it, like everybody else, you start off wondering if, if we're overreacting um, to everything. And at the same time, understanding, you know, the health, safety, wellness of, you know, not just our players um, or our league, but quite frankly, uh, you know, the worldwide population and how important maybe this is. You know, it, it definitely makes you reflect. And, you know, for us, you know, I know the, the crazy time period really was when the president announced the travel ban um, without a lot of um, <laughs> details and all of a sudden thinking we needed to get our players out of their overseas countries by Friday at midnight uh, was a little frantic uh, last night before we realized they weren't talking about necessarily permanent U.S. residents. So, while a lot of players are deciding to come back, it's a little less um, crazy than it was, you know, after the address last night. So um, certainly disappointed. I mean, I was supposed to be um, flying to Boston tomorrow for the Ivy League championship. Certainly would have been at the NCAA tournament. But, um, you know, you do what's best for the the health um, of humanity, I guess. It, it boils down to that as simply as possible. So uh, now we're just going to hop back into to current things going on with the dream. Um, so sorry to kind of just jump right into the to the meat and potatoes of stuff. But, you know, your first year as head coach was great. You blew the league out of the water. You impressed everybody. Um, last year as a team obviously was disappointing. This offseason, you overhauled the roster. And, and I think a question, at least on my mind and possibly on some other people's minds, um, is kind of what changes did you decide, you know, what changed or what did you decide, okay, we got to flip the script on this roster um, and kind of focus on something else? Well, I think, um, you know, it's a lot of things, but I think it, it starts with lack of success, right? And, and, you know, wanting to feel like, you know, in 2018, we were – definitely the asterisk of the league in terms of a team that had success, but had success maybe a little differently um, than what the analytics and trends are um, across college women's basketball, men's basketball, the NBA, you know, in terms of threes and, and all the analytics. And so I think, you know, we did it a different way um, in 2018, but I think in 2019, it was obviously our Achilles heel was putting the ball in the basket and not just from three, but inside six feet. Um, so I think we, we tried to um, change our roster based on those needs, the ability to shoot the three, the ability to finish inside six feet, you know, and so a lot of the moves we made um, were very, very calculated. Um, 
you know, we certainly had, you know, a wish list and, and goals. And for the most part, you know, we, we checked off those boxes. But I think it, it started with, you know, having to be a better offensive team, having to be a better three-point shooting team. I think people have thought of me as a defensive-minded coach. And I've always told people that, that I have a very – I'm very comfortable on the defensive side of the ball because I've been a defensive coordinator in my career, but ultimately I was given that task um, and wanted to be good at it because it was the job given to me, you know, as a head coach, I want to be good all the way around. And I think in 2018, um, what was underappreciated was really how good we were offensively in the second half of the season when we were 15 and two, Uh, we, we got to good shots, we made them and we kept moving up the offensive uh, efficiency charts in the league. We just were so abysmal the first half that our numbers still hovered in, in the middle to bottom half of the league offensively. So, you know, our, our, most of our moves were about toughness and they were about offense. So coach, you talked about, you know, your, your kind of your goals this off season and that you feel like you checked off most of those boxes. And this question might be a little bit repetitive, but um, I'm just trying to, to kind of clarify, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. So, so you looked at this team and your vision was, we've got to get better putting the ball in the basket. Um, we all talk about you and your defensive mind and and your rebounding ability with your teams and those types of things. Um, Do you see that still continuing to be a staple with this um, specific team moving forward? Well, I think what we did was, you know, certainly not every player we signed, you know, we looked at through a defensive lens, but um, we still analyze them defensively. And I, and I think sometimes the numbers, analytical defensive numbers are very skewed to me. Um, if you take a player that has good defensive numbers when it comes to um, synergy or other things, and you have to, you really have to pay attention to the eye test because, you know, is that player defending? Who are they defending? Are they defending the other team's best offensive player or worst offensive player? Are you hiding them? Are you allowing them to switch screens because they can't get through a screen? And so, you know, I'm always going to have a defensive lens when I'm looking at personnel um, and how capable they are. But yes, absolutely. We needed to be able to shoot the basketball better, quite frankly, at every position. And so, you know, I think the overhaul happened as a result of Shakina Strickland can really shoot the three. Glory Johnson, while not a prolific three-point shooter, can put the three in from the four or even the five spot. You know, I believe Kalani Brown can shoot the three. You know, so it gives us a different look um, from Elizabeth Williams, who's who's obviously going to score around the rim um, and has limited range. And so, you know, Courtney Williams can shoot the three. So, you know, kind of all the pieces we added to the puzzle were all pieces that make us a better offensive team, hopefully still very, very competitive on the defensive side of the ball. Because, no, I'm never going to want to be bad defensively. I'm never going to want to be the team that you go, okay, well, they can just outscore us. You know, I, I want to beat people at all facets of the game. Right. I mean, obviously, we uh, we would be ill-willed to have this show and have you on and not talk about um, one of the hot scores in the league, in my opinion, at least um, in, in flashes, and that is Courtney Williams. Um, that was uh, – blew the roof off of everything in terms of kind of that announcement and being able to sign her and um, kind of the drama involved with that. There, you know, there's a lot of layers. We don't have to necessarily dive into it too much, but – Obviously, I, I mean, I personally am a huge fan of Courtney Williams. I, I think she's a dynamic scorer, her energy, you know, her, her swag, everything she brings to the court. Um, 
talk to us about that. I mean, I know you have to be excited, but um, that whole process with you, is that something that, you know, kind of fell into your lap in a certain way? Or or was that kind of a, a long drawn out process for you? Well, I mean, I think it was a little bit of all of those things. I mean, I certainly did not go into free agency thinking that Courtney Williams was going to be with the Atlanta Dream. Um, that was, you know, we could have put that on a wish list, but not a realistic wish list. I think when you look around the league, you know um, what teams are capable of doing with their top players, you know, even with the new cap. Uh, okay, well, they're going to be able to spend here and here, but then this kid's going to, you know, fall um, between the cracks because maybe a team then can't afford them. You know, not unlike how we lost Dantas last year, our inability to protect her, you know, we could not match um, Minnesota in that situation. So, you know, we, we certainly didn't think um, she was going to be in Atlanta. Uh, she obviously got disgruntled uh, with negotiations with Connecticut. Um, and so that's when, you know, it, it started to play out. And uh, while, you know, I'm not going to go into, you know, the bit by bit, what happened or the back and forth, um, I think Courtney decided when she didn't feel like that was the right fit for her, uh, that instantly she knew that, that Atlanta was where she wanted to be. Um, it's close to home. Uh, her mom has rarely seen her play in the WNBA because she doesn't like to fly. And so has basically seen her play when, you know, she's played in Atlanta. So, you know, just I think while there was a, a process of disappointment for her in terms of that team and how she fit in, I think she she was able to move on and and be excited about the potential on and off the court in Atlanta and what she brings and the diversity she brings and how she fits uh, this city. And, you know, I mean, I coached Courtney for two years. She understands who I am, how I coach, how I communicate. Um, and I think um, that makes it a little the transition a little easier as well. Talk to me quickly about, I know you touched on it briefly when you were talking about uh, your off-season goals, but adding Shakina and Glory, I think for day-to-day -day fans, maybe they didn't understand why that was such a big deal. And I know at least I'm going to speak for you, Rachel. I know Rachel and I looked at that and went, ooh, and started, you know, kind of rubbing our hands together, getting a little excited about what you guys are up to. Talk to me about what their impact, I know, uh, like I said, you briefly spoke on it before, but talk to me in depth about their ass, like what they're going to bring to this team. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, as, as you're, as you're going, we were very much in one move at a time um, kind of plans, you know, and not all our plans, you know, happen. I mean, I, you know, Tiffany Mitchell um, took less money than other teams were offering her to sign with us, you know, and ultimately Indiana matched, you know, I mean, not all our moves, you know, went exactly as planned. We were just ready to move to the next um, person. I mean, we identified and had Strickland at the top of our shooters list because everybody knew Atlanta needed a shooter. It's not any small mystery um, that we needed better three-point shooting. But, you know, I certainly thought she was probably at the start of free agency going to um, be back in Connecticut as well. But I think, you know, as as Connecticut was able to kind of hit the home run and get Dewana Bonner and Bonner instantly kind of fills that small forward role for Connecticut. I think it left Strickland in a situation where there was less money in Connecticut, where there was less of a feel for what is my role going to be um, there. And so, you know, that very quickly changed, you know, where she was a very important part of what we wanted to do as soon as we felt like, okay, we're in position to go get her. We're in position financially to go get her. We're in position, you know, in terms of what we need and how she fits in. 
to really go after her. And, and I know that necessarily the fans or the Twitter world didn't understand what moves we were making or why they fit. But for us, it was just a, it was a piece by piece process to make us a better shooting team, to make us a more versatile team, um, to make us a more positionless team. And I know at points I heard comments about, oh, she's just collecting great players. But when I looked at it, it was to me very obvious as time went on, we weren't collecting great players, which we, I think we did. Um, but it was about players that fit about players that fit, um, you know, a position for us. And so, you know, Strickland, obviously someone who can shoot the basketball, but, but glory, uh, really important to us in terms of, you know, her ability to rebound the ball, her ability to defend her ability to handle it and get us into dribble handoffs, which are so important today to rebound and get us in transition and then to truly stretch to the three. And I think we can make her um, the best version of her and, and kind of get her out of some of those late shot clock, gray area, um, long contested twos that she was kind of forced into with how, you know, they were forced to play in Dallas last year. And so, you know, those moves all made sense. Um, by that point, obviously we knew there was potential uh, moves in the mix where we might be giving Breland up. Um, and so we knew Glory was someone who could kind of fill that role. Um, so I know, again, you've kind of touched on this before, but I I'm curious to hear your take on this. It, did the style of play, is that going to be changing with you guys? Or is it more so that you've created a roster that fits into the style of play that you'd like to be playing? I think it's both, but I think you hit it on the head more with the second part in that you know, we, we were actually, we played with great pace in 2018. Um, some of that was we got more stops. What I've wanted to do from the beginning is play with more pace, even on made baskets. And so, you know, I think having great depth, things like that, play into, play into pace after made baskets. But I think now with the ability to put Courtney Williams on one wing and, and Tiffany Hayes on the other and to consistently get into early up situations and get in transition on the wings, um, you know, the ability to play way more in that first eight seconds uh, of the shot clock um, is a big part of how we want to play. I mean, we, we've definitely been a team that has gotten into ball screen actions. We haven't been as efficient in ball screen actions as we want to be. Um, but I think we've opened up our roster to play a lot of different ways, um, you know, in terms of, you know, there are times that, that we may play Gloria as a point forward you know, and really put potentially our best offensive lineup on the floor. You know, a lot of this will play out in camp, but, you know, who, who, who is going to, you know, whether it's starting or coming off the bench or those things, I think we have some versatility now in our roster, but the ability to really run, shoot it, score in early actions and create great spacing. I mean, I knew when I got the job here that I had players that could attack the paint. The problem is, Last year, we played with a dirty lane the entire season. And, and by that, it's a term we use. Like, we want a clean lane as much as possible. We want great spacing, you know. But when you don't make shots, um, the lane shrinks. Um, the defense is, you know, as close to defensive three as they can get all the time with multiple bodies. And we created more uncontested shots than anybody in the league last year um, and just didn't make them, you know. So our ability to put a Strickland out on the wing does one of two things. If you commit off of her, she's going to stick you, you know, if you don't come off of her, you got a clean lane uh, now for Tiffany Hayes to play in for Courtney Williams to play in. 
Um, and so, you know, everything just changes that way in terms of the dynamics. You know, we, we got great shots last year. We didn't make them, you know, but now all of a sudden we're going to make those shots easier for our players, ideally. So you kind of, you might have seen our show notes because you, you perfectly segue to this next question. And I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I'm a big fan of you, so I'm sorry to do this. But how are you going to form a starting five uh, with this roster? Because if you look at this roster, you have a lot of players who have started throughout their career and a lot of players who have the talent to start uh, still today. So how are you going to decide? I mean, certainly some of that plays out in training camp. I I think that when, when you, you know, we're in very much of a, Hey, it's time to get the chip back on our shoulder and prove that you're comfortable being uncomfortable. So in my mind, you know, nobody's walking in camp saying like, this is my job. Like I expect there to be, um, and I'm, I'm out to earn my job. And, and that's how it was when I took the job. I certainly signed Renee Montgomery, um, to basically back up Lasia Clarendon. That's what I thought I was doing in free agency two years ago. But when camp tipped off, you know, Renee outplayed Lasia on a daily basis to the point where she earned that starting spot and became our starting point guard. And so, you know, some of that will play out in camp um, to some degree. I mean, we could, I could sit here and pencil in and say, and, you know, in, in my mind, you know, is it, is, is Renee our starting point guard and, and you've got Courtney on one wing and Tiffany on the other and, and you're bringing in Strickland off the bench um, with Gloria and Elizabeth um, at the four five. But, you know, I just think we have a lot of different ways to play and, you know, so some of it has to be, how does that organically happen? And then is your starting lineup your best lineup? We had a problem last year, quite frankly, with awful starts, um, you know, but we had a hard time with also anybody consistently stepping up enough to say, okay, you know, Monique Billing should be starting instead of so-and-so, you know, and so sometimes you have to organically let that happen and figure out like who plays the best together. And your starters are not necessarily your five best players. They're the players that play the best together that are going to give you the best um, ability to get down and guard people early as well as, you know, create spacing. And so some of that will really play out, but you know, there's times when you're, you're going to see a lineup of Courtney, Tiffany, and Strickland at the one, two, three. And, you know, maybe we're not outletting the ball to the same person every time. Um, And you're going to see lineups where we have, you know, Renee at the point or, um, you know, so, you know, and and the draft pick is going to affect, you know, what happens for us as well in terms of, do we draft the point guard? Are we drafting a power forward? Like, where does that fit in um, for us? And at four, you know, it's hard to say right now, you know, we're not sitting there with the number one pick saying, I can tell you right now, Sabrina Unescu is going to be my starting point guard. Like that's not the situation we're in. So some of that all has to play out and we're going to have, depending on, um, you know, some of these leagues and their suspension and league play and when do they restart and when, you know, Elizabeth Williams plays on Fenerbahce, you know, like when are they going to be done and when is she going to be back and will she be quarantined? you know, when she returns. And, you know, so there's so many question marks still, I think, in terms of lineups and how that'll play out. Well, we have to uh, kind of interrupt. I mean, you you, uh, you just segued it again. Uh, we just got news that the NCAA tournament men and women's have officially been canceled. 
um, a lot to digest there is that obviously impacts our community very deeply um, on a lot of levels. And honestly, it's it's hard for me to not kind of get emotional right now as I, as I think about this and I think about um, the players and, you know, everything that could have been. It's just, it's hard to believe this is real. Um, but I have to ask you, you know, I mean, this is such a pivotal time for you guys in terms of preparing for the draft. Um, I know you've been able to watch a lot of these players' potential top picks a lot this season, but you really bank on tournament time, um, the NCAA, you know, March Madness to be able to get out to some <laughs> these games and, and watch um, them compete on the highest stage, you know, especially the final four. And then we, t- we can, we could even talk about, you know, combines that will probably, I don't know, questionably be held at this point, but um, I guess first initial reactions, it's, it has officially been canceled in the time that we have been recording this podcast. Um, and I mean, what are your, what are your first thoughts on everything um, that just happened? Yeah. My first thoughts are, are really the seniors, you know, and um, not even, you know, there were, there were players. I mean, I know you coached in the Mac as well and, and seeing, you know, central Michigan upset yesterday in the Mac tournament and then another team knowing there's a shot you know, because Central Michigan's probably going to still get in as an at-large and, you know, but, you know, those goals and aspirations you have as an athlete, like it doesn't, as as much as it was a a few years ago for me, it doesn't feel like that long ago, you know, and that those moments of um, sitting there and, and whether it was being a number one seed when I played at Purdue or, you know, sitting back and hoping, you know, we were going to be get in and getting a 12 seed when I played at Marquette, you know, those feelings. And so in a lot of ways, it's, it's really, it's all about the athlete. It's about that culmination of, of their careers. And, and, you know, I was, I was actually reading a tweet of a coach that, that I worked with at Colorado state, Reagan Peebley, who they had such a huge turnaround at TCU this year and have all these seniors and how much this was going to mean for them. I mean, you talk about like such a huge turnaround um, there uh, with TCU and, and now yeah. you know, not having that opportunity to show it. I mean, I, I think it's, it's just, that's the part that's it's sadness and it's, it's sadness for them. And we all know why, and we know it's probably the right decision. Um, but as much as anything, it's sadness from a business side. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's good to see players compete when the stakes are the highest, you know, whether that's a conference tournament, whether it's an NCAA tournament, you know, the cream tends to rise to the top in those situations and you see them in a different environment. You know, I was looking forward to seeing, say, a Bella Allery play against, you know, more power five teams and, and seeing potential matchups there and, and how that plays out. Um, and, and, that, and then you have a, a point of comparison on her. You know, I've seen a lot of games in person. I watch a ton of games on TV. So it's, it's not that I'm going to have less of an opportunity than anybody else I'm drafting against. So I think we're all in the same boat and the same position. So, you know, you do your homework, you, you talk to coaches um, and you figure out, um, you know, once things happen ahead of you, what you're going to do, but, you know, mainly it's just, I'm, I'm sad for those players. Absolutely. It's uh, like I said, it, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm just trying to keep it together <laughs> And is it, it's hard to get me a little bit emotional and this is a, this is a lot, but um, I, I have to ask, you know, we, we talk about your off season moves. We talk about the draft, um, the draft coming up and headed into this season, obviously a ton of talent. Um, obviously um, it's going to be an exciting draft. Um, I'm very excited to see kind of what, how this shakes out and how everyone's mock drafts fare with uh, what actually is going to happen. But what do you feel like 
you guys have to do in this draft? Um, I know you can't talk about necessarily super specifics, but what do you feel like are some pieces you need? Well, I mean, I think we've identified, you know, for us, we've, we've obviously with the Kalani trade, we were able to go secure, you know, a, a good center, you know, and so, you know, we were able to kind of check that obvious need um, off our off our list. But I think, you know, what's everybody's, it's, it's no mystery. Most people have said, you know, what, what is, what does Atlanta still need? Most people still think we need a point guard. You know, we need is, you know, do people not believe that Maite is a rising, you know, star is Renee, um, a veteran that's more of a combo guard than a point guard. I mean, there's all these, these are other people's questions, not necessarily mine. Um, but at the same time, I think there's no doubt when you look at our depth chart and where we're at, you know, I think that the areas of, you know, obvious need are, are quite frankly, the areas where, you know, there's a lot of talk at the top of the draft. It's the point guards, it's the small forwards, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a guard with size that can play two, three or three, four, you know, because a lot of our lineups are going to have a little bit smaller um, wings, except, you know, Shakina still has great size, but when you're looking towards the draft and you're looking towards the future, you know, having another player, uh, on the wing with size or, you know, an obvious point guard um, are things that we're, we're taking a hard look at. Coach, I, I have to ask something that has been on my mind for years and literally just in prep for this show, I was talking to Rachel about it and she explained a little bit to me, but I'm hoping maybe you can shed some more light. Talk to me about WNBA combines because I literally know nothing. I think fans know nothing if they exist, if they don't exist. Um, can you give us a little information on do they exist? What are they like? Or how do they kind of differ from what we might think of, you know, in the NFL, the NBA and, and such? Yeah, I think at one point the the WNBA had kind of hosted their own combine well before my time in the league. But, you know, since then, they've the lead has been taken, you know, by individuals to create um, combines in association with the final four find venues. So, you know, over the last um, three years, we've had that I've been in the league, we've had three different combines, one on Friday, one Saturday, one Sunday um, at the final four. And uh, John McGraw runs one, Linda Hargrove runs one and Stephanie Stanley. And I, I know they have partners and things, but, you know, those have been the three combines. Um, some players play in two of the three, some of them only play in one. Um, but you know, they, they, the, the WNBA coaches, because they are at the final four, um, tend to go and they tend to watch them. Now I would say sometimes as WNBA coaches, we, when we walk away from those, you know, and we think about how many of the players that are at these combines are actually going to be drafted. You know, I, I think the over under most years is between five and seven between three rounds. So maybe of those you know, three combines, there's seven players that are drafted of the 36 players. Um, so a lot of those players end up going and playing overseas. Um, some of our top players are obviously in the final four and can't compete in them. Some of them aren't going to compete because they aren't going to get injured and they're not sanctioned by the WNBA. I think what our, what we're still missing, quite frankly, um, we're still missing like someone like really get the heights and real weights of these players you know like that's the one thing I think we lack we truly lack I mean it was amazing how 
um, much we were searching for that information a year ago on Megan Gustafson, and we were getting stuff like, well, she measured out bare feet in 12th grade at, you know, 6'3 <laughs> or whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, really? Like, do we not have these numbers? And so that's the part that I wish our game was better at, that we could get, you know, versus, you know, basically a LaChina Robinson calling a, uh, a Big Ten game and standing next to Megan Gustafson and saying, well, if I'm this tall, then she must be that tall. Like those were the, the gauges, you know, we were, we were using um, on certain players. And so, I mean, that's still missing. But basically those players just show up at those combines. They, they may have some skill work, but basically they just play games. You know, it's, it's old school, um, you know, make a team of eight, play against another team of eight, sub every four minutes type of situation. Wow. Well, I, uh, as always, appreciate it. Every time you come on the show, uh, we, I get educated, and I know Rachel enjoys it also. Uh, she already knows half the stuff. It's just, it's just it's an educational experience for me, but we're very thankful uh, for you to take time and join us. Um, and as we always say, we believe the players of the W and its community deserve the same in-depth analysis and respect that men's sports receive on a daily basis. With that in mind, please consider joining our Patreon community to help support us and the hard work that we do. Thank you so much, Coach. Absolutely.